This is Fullness of Life, discussing topics important to your life of faith and ways to grow in a life of grace. Join us each month as we inspire listeners to a deeper relationship with the Lord to live His fullness of life. Now, here's your host, Letty Medina. Welcome back, everyone. This is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life on WSFI Antioch, 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. This month, I have the joy of welcoming Father Benedict LaVolpe, who is the guardian and rector of Marytown, the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe in Libertyville, Illinois. The reason I wanted to host Father Benedict is that this is the month of May, and as Catholics, we devote this month to our Blessed Mother Mary. And who better to talk about our Blessed Mother than the priest who is overseeing this beautiful shrine, which is dedicated to her. So welcome, Father Benedict. Well, thank you very much, Wendy. Yes, um, it's a great joy um, to be here and to be the rector and guardian of Marytown, the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby is an absolute privilege, I can assure you. Well, why don't we start by having you share a little bit about your background and how you come to be uh, in this role at Marytown. Yes, oh, thank you. Um, well, I have been uh, a Franciscan for nearly 25 years now, and obviously you can tell from my accent I'm not a local of Libertyville, that's for sure. But uh, I'm from, um, from uh, Australia, first-generation Italian from Australia, and i um, Yes, the uh, friars from the Australian jurisdiction, we'll call it that, um, have been part of the Chicago province since 2012. And so we kind of um, were able to share resources, uh, we share friars. And uh, last, uh, no, two years ago now, in the uh, provincial chapter of 2018, I was asked uh, and elected to be the um, director and guardian here at Marytown and to be on the provincial council as well, uh, which I gladly accepted. It was very sad to say goodbye to uh, the parish where I was pastor for almost nine years and to the friars there and, of course, my family and my friends and to come to a, a new country and really a new ministry as well because the shrine isn't a parish. It's very different from a parish. So everything has been a, a learning curve for me, um, learning how to drive on the right side of the road, learning how to look after a shrine, uh, new friars, new people, um, new ways of doing things. Um, so it's been every day is a wonderful challenge, particularly now as we're living this, um, this well, very unique moment in our history as well, with the, the chapel that's actually been closed for the very first time in many, many years. Yes, absolutely. Well, welcome, 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 <laughs> because I guess Thank it's you. nice for me to hear that background. I didn't fully understand all of the changes you had to go through. Um, as we go ahead and enter into the, the topic of the show, which is, you know, basically all about Mary, um, why don't you share a little bit about um, the inspiration uh, that, uh, what brought Marytown into existence? How did that happen? Well, um, um, it's a very good question because this Marytown is actually what we call the third Marytown in the world, being the first Marytown being Niepokolano, which St. Maximilian Kolbe himself founded uh, near Warsaw in Poland, and the second Marytown being the Mugense no Sono in Nagasaki in Japan, which St. Maximilian also founded um, back in the 19, um, uh, 1920s. So, um, you know, um, this is um, uh, wonderful for us to um, be part of that wonderful tradition that St. Maximilian himself started. Of course, St. Maximilian didn't found this Marytown, but uh, he inspired this Mary Town. It was actually founded uh, by the Friars in 1948, believe it or not, not here at Libertyville. This is actually our third campus, to use a better word. Um, 
The first Mary Town was started in Crystal Lake, where we had our, our prep seminary um, by uh, Father Dominic Shemansky and Father Cyril Keita. Um, Father Cyril Keita actually had studied with Maximilian Kolbe in Rome in the early 1900s. Um, they wanted to continue the great work that Maximilian Kolbe had begun in uh, Poland and then in Japan and to bring that here to the United States, uh, especially with the, uh, the MI, the Militia of Mary Immaculate. So it started in Crystal Lake in 48 and then in 1949 moved to Kenosha. And in fact, from 49 really to 1979, it was in Kenosha. It was a very popular place in Kenosha. Um, this campus here, which had begun in really 1928, the Benedictine Sisters, um, they were leaving. And so it was an opportune time for with the sisters leaving this beautiful campus and the shrine to Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament uh, for us to take over this shrine. And so the friars moved from Kenosha here to Libertyville in 1979, and we've been here ever since, and hopefully forever and a day, which would be wonderful, and continue uh, the great work which the Benedictine Sisters began in the 1920s, and to continue that work of uh, perpetual adoration, and even for praying for the seminarians and for the priests of Chicago as well, as we do um, in this beautiful shrine. Absolutely. It, you know, I'll just share my own love for Marytown. Uh, when I moved uh, up to Illinois in 1997, I remember the first time I drove by Marytown and I saw the name and I, I thought, what is that place? And I had just <laughs> gone through my own conversion in Medjugorje. And so I was very, very um, devoted to Our Lady, but I didn't really understand what Marytown was all about. But the first time I, I read about Marytown in the bulletin of my local church, it was about their adoration program. And so I quickly drove over and, you know, started walking inside and seeing the beauty of that um, magnificent chapel um, shrine. And it's, it's if you haven't been there and you live in the Lake County area, please come by Marytown. It is so beautiful. Oh, it's an absolute, it's a, exactly. It's an absolute jewel um, in, in, in this, in this neighborhood. It's just, um, I mean, we're very fortunate to have the Mundelein Seminary next door, which is a, has a beautiful, you know, surroundings and a lovely area. But um, the, the chapel we have here at Marytown is just incredible. The great architects and the, the, the vision of the Benedictine sisters at the time as well. And, of course, the Cardinal Mundelein, it has to be said, um, built this absolutely beautiful chapel. And it's a testament to, a testimony to um, the, the great Catholic life of uh, Chicago and this area of Chicago uh, for nearly the past 100 years. So... When Marytown moved to Libertyville, what what you're saying that beforehand it was the sisters that ran the site? Yes, indeed. So back in 1926, Cardinal Mundelein had the um, Great Eucharistic Congress, International Eucharistic Congress here in um, in Chicago, and particularly here at Mundelein, I should say, which was the heart of the Eucharistic Congress. After that International Eucharistic Congress had finished, Cardinal Mundelein had the vision of uh, beginning a great Eucharistic center right next door to the seminary, a Eucharistic center that would uh, be there really to inspire vocations, to pray for vocations, to pray for the seminarians next door, and to pray, pray for the perseverance of the priests as well. So he invited the um, Benedictine sisters of Clyde, Missouri, uh, to come here, and um, the, they came in 1928, two years after the Congress. The cornerstone was late in 1913. I believe the building more or less... Um, it was completed in the early 1930s, uh, but uh, perpetual adoration actually began here in 1928. 
So the Benedictine sisters were here from 1928 all the way to 1979. Of course, you know, after the council, many congregations, um, particularly of um, religious sisters, were dwindling, and the sisters had to uh, sort of um, uh, put all their resources in, together back in Clyde, Missouri, which is where they are today. And so they had to leave this uh, beautiful uh, shrine, this beautiful convent that they built, uh, which we were able to then um, purchase and, and take over as the new campus for Marytown. Wow, that's wonderful history. So right now that we are in the stay-at-home order, I know that yes, yes. Um, the friars are having to keep the perpetual adoration going. How is that going for you? Well, to be honest, uh, the day we had to close our doors was honestly one of the, the saddest days in my life. And I, I, I choke up just thinking about that day. Um, I had to, of course, think about the continuing perpetual adoration because, we, you know, we have a great uh, army of, uh, I like to use the word army, it's very St. Maximilian, um, a great army of Eucharistic adorers here, who not only those who are um, actually part of the um, Eucharistic uh, adoration sort of, you know, ministry, but all those who just come in, uh, you know, to, to say hello to Jesus, I want to spend some time with him. So um, for them not to be able to come meant, of course, uh, a great problem. That is, how do we keep perpetual adoration going? I mean, yes, we have live stream, but that's not the same. You need someone in the chapel adoring Jesus at all times. Otherwise, there is no adoration. Um, I literally put out a sheet of paper in the Friars dining room with just uh, uh, the 24 hours from midnight until, you know, uh, 11 p.m., and I asked the friars to fill in um, their names. And within 10 minutes, all 24 hours were filled in. And uh, in these last nearly four weeks, um, the friars, are, you, about 10 of us, 10 of the 13 friars here, uh, do between two and three holy hours every single day. Um, mine is at 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day. And um, it's been a great blessing for me personally, but for our community. Can you imagine a community of 13 men uh, stuck together? Um, uh, and not being able to leave the building uh, except in uh, those emergencies. Um, it's really the grace of um, the perpetual adoration and the friars who are continuing um, and making their holy hours every day that keep us sane and holy throughout this whole time. Amen. Well, thank you for doing that. Uh, it's a beautiful testament to your love for our Lord and, and for those of us who have participated as the warriors of that program. I've been an adorer for almost 21 years, I believe now. Wow. And um, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life. Uh, it's been a foundational part of my faith journey, spending that hour every week with our Lord in that beautiful chapel. And I know, I mean, it is hard for us not to be able to go and spend that time there every week. But thank you. Thank you for keeping yeah. that going. Well, so, you know, we're talking about adoring the Lord and, you know, we want to focus a lot during this radio show about our Blessed Mother and yes. how does she play in to the adoration um, program and, and not just at Marytown, but, but in every um, act of adoration of our Lord? Well, I think we have to begin with a very basic Catholic premise, um, one that oftentimes we forget. But that basic Catholic premise is where Christ is, Mary is at his side. Um, you know, um, if we truly believe that, um, then when we are um, experiencing um, those moments of Eucharistic adoration, then we know that the Blessed Mother is right there with us, adoring her son as well. Um, that's not just sort of a, a pious understanding of the role of Mary in salvation history. It's very theological as well, and uh, one that's uh, very much part of our 
beautiful 800-year Franciscan tradition. Uh, but um, you, you cannot ever separate um, uh, the person of the Blessed Mother from the person of Christ. Of course, Christ is uh, the Son of God. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. He is God himself. We adore, we worship, we praise Jesus because he's God. Uh, but we love the Blessed Mother because of the simple premise that, again, Jesus gave her to us as a gift, took after us from the cross. We've really just celebrated that beautiful mystery a week ago, um, John 19, verse 25 to 27, you know, behold your mother, behold your son. Um, Jesus, our loving Savior, gives Mary to us as a gift. He makes her mother of the church. And so forth. therefore, where the Eucharist is, the church is, where the church is, the Blessed Mother is. And she's mother of the church. She's mother of the Eucharist. And so the two are intimately and always intimately united. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for explaining that um, basic premise. I think a lot of people do struggle with understanding um, the role of our mother, Mary, um, especially, you know, a lot of non-Catholics struggle with our love for her. Um, but even yes. Catholics sometimes get confused about what her role is. And so uh, I think and it's then, very important for people to hear that. Now, can I ask you, the other, the two other married towns, the one in Poland and the one in Japan, do they um, still, they're still um, running adoration themselves or? Now, I cannot uh, be in touch of the, the one in Japan, but definitely the one in Poland, Yepokolanov, has always had uh, perpetual adoration and continues to have perpetual adoration. In fact, they only recently, I like to use the word installed, uh, I might say it's a life-size statue of the Blessed Mother, and from her heart is the actual monstrance. And, and that beautiful sculpture, if you want to call it, that slash monstrance, was blessed actually by Pope Francis of the Vatican and then taken back to Neapokalana, where it was beautifully enthroned uh, to continue the perpetual adoration that they have there at uh, Neapokalana in Poland. Um, I did say there's something very similar in Japan. You know, it's a very beautiful story of Japan. Um, you know, of course, Nagasaki was bombed in the Second World War, um, and of course, our, um, our Marytown wasn't touched at all because Maximilian Colby had built the Ferrari uh, on the other side of the hill, as was the case with many, actually many other religious um, uh, convents and, and uh, houses, uh, because, you know, Japan being Japan at the time, the Catholic Church wasn't exactly most welcome. Um, so we were sort of given the poorer land on the other side of the hill outside of Nagasaki. So when the bomb hit, uh, none of, none of, most of the religious houses on the other side of the hill were affected. And so um, our Marytown there in Japan continues to this very day from Maximilian Colby himself. I remember hearing that story, and that is a beautiful, again, witness to the protection of Our, our Lady during that terrible um, bombing. Um, Indeed. So the other question I had for you regarding... Um, Adoration, Blessed Mother. Um, so are you saying that that in Poland, the Marytown established there by St. Maximilian himself, started mm -hmm. adoration and has continued throughout these almost 100 years? Oh, most definitely. There was, um, I, now I, don't, I wouldn't know if, I don't want to call it perpetual adoration, but um, uh, certainly uh, at the time of Maximilian, adoration was always part of the daily orarium uh, for all the friars. You've got to remember when Maximilian Kolbe began Nepokalanov, there were some 800 religious men living in that house. And so it was, it was not, not difficult to find people to fill hours for adoration, I'm sure. Uh, so, um, you know, there is, um, 
it's difficult to say during the war. Uh, we do know that when Maximilian was arrested, there were other friars who continued there at Nepokolanos in a very secretive manner. Of course, they weren't publishing anything, but there were still priests who were celebrating Mass, and therefore the Eucharist was there throughout the whole of the war um, and continues to this day, thankfully, yes. Yes. Well, and I just want to take this last minute before we go to commercial break to just, again, okay. encourage our listeners um, to consider becoming a committed adorer. If you are not yet spending time every week in adoration of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, um, when the stay-at-home order lifts, um, okay. I would really encourage it because I'm telling you, it is one of the greatest graces the Lord just pours his grace into the, his people when they sit at his feet and adore him. And, and people, yes, and, and indeed um, anyone can find all that information on our beautiful website, colbyshrine.org, colbyshrine, all one word, dot org. Um, there is a tab there for adoration. It gives you all the information you possibly need, including also a little bit of the beautiful theology of Eucharistic adoration as well. You know, Eucharistic adoration is the extension of that moment from Mass where uh, the host and, and the chalice are consecrated, the priest elevates them, and that's our moment to adore. So that moment then becomes, of course, perpetually given to us in the monstrance outside of Mass. Beautiful. All right. Well, this is time uh, to take a quick break, but don't go away. Uh, when we return, Father Benedict is going to talk a little bit about the conventional Franciscans and why they have such a love for our dear Blessed Mother. We'll be right back. Hello everyone, this is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. And we're here talking to Father Benedict LaVolpe, who's the guardian and rector of Marytown, the National Shrine to St. Maximilian Kolbe in Libertyville. And he's highlighting uh, a variety of things about um, Mary and uh, adoration. Um, in this next part of the show, I'd really like him to focus on why the conven conventional Franciscans, which he is a part of, why they have such a love for Mary and, um, you know, what we can learn from them about this. So let's start by going to the very beginning with St. Francis. <laughs> well, that's a good place to start. Um, um, indeed, you know, um, Mary's role in the Franciscan order begins with St. Francis of Assisi uh, himself. In fact, the Immaculate Conception under that very title, the Blessed Mother under that title of the Immaculate Conception, is the patroness of the Franciscan order. She's the queen of the Franciscan order. That is the title that we give her because of the great love that we've had for the Blessed Mother uh, since the time of St. Francis himself. You know, St. Maximilian Kolbe, uh, you know, 800 years or 700 years, I should say, after Francis, speaks about you know tracing you know this golden thread of the presence and the continuing influence of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Franciscan order. And he calls it a golden thread because we see the role, the importance and the love and devotion to the Blessed Mother that starts with Francis, continues with St. Anthony and St. Bonaventure, excuse me, Blessed John Scotus, going all the way into St. Joseph Cupertino, St. Maximilian Colby, and to the modern day as well. But Francis of Assisi himself had a great love for the Blessed Mother. In fact, in every part of his writings, and, you know, one of the things about St. Francis of Assisi that we often forget is that we have all of these writings. We have all of these letters, rules, uh, testament, um, prayers, uh, everything he wrote we have with us to this very day. That's a great blessing, considering he was around in the, you know, the early 1200s. 
anytime he mentions uh, our loving Savior, Jesus Christ, he always uh, and often mentions uh, the Blessed Mother right next to him. Uh, and uh, so that really there begins the beautiful uh, understanding and love that Francis of Assisi had for the Blessed Mother. You know, Francis actually wrote a couple of beautiful prayers um, on the Blessed Mother. Um, one is called the Salutation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And um, in it, he calls, uh, he, 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 you've got to see, for St. Francis of Assisi, the incarnation was the most important thing. The fact that God became man and lived among us. And not only is that the most important thing for St. Francis, but the fact that he took his flesh from the Blessed Virgin Mary. And you see this so beautifully in, uh, in this beautiful prayer that he wrote, the Salutation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, which I might just actually read if that's okay. It, the, the, the prayer goes, Hail, O Lady, Holy Queen, Mary, Holy Mother of God, who are the Virgin-made Church, chosen by the Most Holy Father in Heaven, whom he consecrated with his Most Holy Beloved Son, and with the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, in whom there was and is all fullness of grace and every good. Hail his palace, hail his tabernacle, hail his dwelling, hail his robe, hail his servant, hail his mother, and hail all you holy virtues, which are poured in the hearts of the faithful through the grace and enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, that from being unbelievers you may make them faithful to God. And in that beautiful prayer which Francis wrote, and it was obviously inspired to write, you can see that uh, he gives, you know, he turns the Hail Mary, that, that part of it, into these beautiful titles of Mary, calling Mary the palace, because she houses the king, the tabernacle, because she houses the Eucharist, his dwelling, his robe, because she gave him flesh, his servant, because she knows her place as well, but she's always his mother too. And Francis had a great and really deep understanding of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, not in, the, in relationship to Christ, but in the relationship to the whole church. Listen to that beautiful title he gives her. He says, you are the virgin made church. And that's a very beautiful and unique title that um, St. Francis gives to Mary. Now, he didn't invent that title, but he makes it very clear that that's a very important part of her because he makes sure that she is part, she's understood in a very, what we would say, ecclesiological sense. In other words, she's part and parcel of the church. And we see that from the foot of the cross, but most importantly, we see that from Pentecost. You know, Pentecost, Mary is there with the 11. She doesn't need to be there because she's full of grace. She doesn't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit like the disciples do, but she's there because she's guiding the church, the apostles. She's looking after them. She's supporting them, and she's interceding for them as well. And for St. Francis, that was a very important aspect of, uh, of Mary. And I dare say not to be too controversial, but also Francis's understanding of Mary being the co-redemptrix. In other words, she plays a part in the history of redemption. She's not the redeemer. She doesn't have the same power as the redeemer, but she plays a very important part of this because it is through her that the Son of God took flesh and lived among us. Now, and you know, one thing I just <clears throat> want to interject here is that yes. because she is the mother of God, right? How could we not entrust ourselves to her as our mother? If she was good enough to take care of our Savior, she is absolutely good enough to take care of all the rest of us, right? Indeed. I couldn't have put it better myself. That's exactly, um, you know, and that's exactly the way that St. Francis um, saw her as well. You know, in the beautiful second prayer that Francis wrote, it's actually an antiphon that Francis writes for the Blessed Mother, and I'd like to read that out very quickly as well. It says, Holy Virgin Mary, among the women born into the world, there is no one like you. 
daughter and servant of the Most High and Supreme King and of the Father in Heaven, mother of our Most Holy Lord Jesus Christ, spouse of the Holy Spirit. Pray for us with St. Michael the Archangel, all the powers of heaven and all the saints at the side of your most holy beloved son, our Lord and teacher. I mean, the theology in that prayer that Francis gives us is incredible. People like to think that St. Francis was a real simpleton. Uh, he wasn't, you know. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we have this 20th and 21st century understanding of Francis. It's almost uh, akin to him being some sort of medieval hippie, you know, running around you know, tiptoeing through the tulips of Assisi. You know, there are no tulips in Assisi. But, uh, but he wasn't. He was a man of great faith and even of intellect as well and a great theologian. And we see that especially in all of his prayers, uh, particularly all of his prayers which are, um, you know, in honour of the Most Holy Trinity, but even these beautiful prayers written of the Blessed Father. She is, you know, daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, spouse of the Spirit. Again, a great Trinitarian understanding of who Mary is and why we need to have Mary in our life. Because she's not just happenstance, she's there for a really good reason. She was the chosen one for God to be among us and to show us, um, you know, the loving heart of her son, Jesus Christ, our loving Savior. Amen. Amen. And and for those listeners who maybe struggle with who our Blessed Mother is and where she fits into the faith journey, just we want to encourage you just to continue to open your heart to explore who she really is, because maybe you've heard things that are very confusing and you think that, that you know, Catholics, you know, worship her. That is not true. We honor her as the mother of God. We honor her as being very, very important in salvation history, being there from the moment of the conception of our Savior to the moment of his death and resurrection and the birth of the church. And so um, please take time to get to know our Mother Mary. It's a really, she's amazing. You know, when people ask me just off the cuff, um, you know, how, how to foster a love and devotion to the Blessed Mother, you know, and I was just talking about this the other day to a group of seminarians online uh, who one of the seminarians asked me as well the question, you know, how do we help people foster an understanding of our love and devotion to the Blessed Mother? Do we start with the rosary? And I said, look, and I, I didn't want to be controversial, but uh, I said, actually, I never start with the rosary. I always start with the image of Mary at the foot of the cross. That's always my starting point when I'm trying to explain to someone why we need Mary in our lives and why she does have a role in the life of every Christian, let alone every Catholic, because it's from the cross that she becomes mother of everyone, not just of Jesus, as at the Annunciation. It's from the cross that Jesus gives her to us as a gift. You know, our loving Saviour is dying on the cross. He has very little air left in his lungs of his. He's about to die. And one of the last words he breathes is, Behold your mother. How could we not take that as a great sign from Jesus of the importance that he wanted, uh, you know, of, of having Mary in our lives? And that's always my starting point. And because it's also a very real image of Mary. It's a very humbling image of Mary and a very sort of um, emotional image of Mary. And people sort of get that. They're able to communicate with that uh, quite easily. Sometimes with the other images, uh, they're beautiful. It goes without saying the the Annunciation, the Visitation, go through the whole list of the mysteries, but um, they have a rather supernatural aspect to them, uh, which, of course, is that they should have. But with Mary at the foot of the cross, it's very real. It's very earthy. It's very us. And I think that's always a good starting point um, to understand um, the role of Mary in our lives. Well, and I think it's also um, a good 
opportunity right now to just remind our listeners too that one of the reasons there is a lot of confusion uh, amongst people um, who struggle with who she is and where she fits into to the role of salvation history um, is because she is so important and because she's been chosen by God not only to bring us the savior of the world but to crush the head of Satan and so Satan cannot stand the fact that she was the the vessel through which our salvation has been realized and so he has caused a lot of confusion and division over the role of the blessed mother indeed and you know, the whole the whole reason for for Satan's existence is to create confusion it's to be that scandal on that obstacle in the life of, of reaching Christ and of course he uh, he does that particularly in the path of the Blessed Virgin Mary because of the fact that she was conceived without the same original sin and the fact that she was assumed body and soul into heaven these are things that are uh, absolute you know make, make Satan absolutely crazy with uh, with uh, with envy and jealousy yes and and again as a person who has a great love for the Blessed Mother myself and um, not at first, I didn't understand her role myself, right? And it wasn't until she came into my life and brought me further along the path towards her son that I began to understand, oh my gosh, she's so important to this faith journey um, that I just, again, want to encourage people, open your hearts, open your minds, and, and get to know the Blessed Mother if you're not already close to her. So you just mentioned uh, the the fact that she was born without original sin. Can you talk a little bit about how that um, came to be, our understanding of that came to be? Well, yes, a good segue, because um, as I was talking earlier about this golden thread, part of the golden thread, of course, is one of our great Franciscan scholars uh, and, and holy men as well, um, is Blessed John Don Scotus, who um, is, is the reason why we came to a an understanding of the Immaculate Conception. Believe it or not, people find this very hard to believe at times, but the, great, the greatest minds, uh, Thomas Aquinas and St. Bonaventure, had a great problem in understanding um, the, the theology, uh, the idea of the Immaculate Conception. Why? Because to say that Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin meant that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, uh, did he truly redeem all mankind, because he's redeeming us from original sin. With Mary is then, you know, um, conceived without the stain of original sin, uh, she doesn't need redemption. And so therefore there is no universal redemption. And so they said, well, uh, either Jesus universally redeemed or he didn't. If he, there's no in-between. It took um, Blessed John Don Scotus in the early 1300s to formulate, using um, understanding, uh, sort of theology in the church that was really prevalent in the church fathers, but to come to uh, an understanding of how this was to be. And he basically said that um, uh, the moment that the Blessed Mother was conceived in the womb of her mother, St. Anne, uh, without the same original sin, it's because the redeeming effects of the Passion and Resurrection were sort of given to her even before they came into existence. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day, he was able to have Mary as part of that redemption even before it actually happened. So at the moment of her conception, the moment she appeared uh, in the womb of her own mother, she was already uh, part of that whole redemption. Um, in other words, God, uh, to you to quote uh, uh, Blessed John Don Scotus, God saw that it was fitting to do so, he could do it, and therefore he did it. 
Um, it's a beautiful little saying that uh, you know we, we kind of use um, in understanding the, this whole understanding of the Immaculate Conception. But Mary's Immaculate Conception does not preclude her from universal redemption, and therefore it was possible. Um, because otherwise we'd be saying everyone was redeemed except Mary because she didn't need to be redeemed. Well, she didn't need to be redeemed only because uh, the effects of the redemption affected her even before they came into being. It sounds complicated, and in fact it is rather complicated, but um, in the dogma of faith that we understand this from uh, 1854, um, this, this, understanding, this understanding from Blessed John Duns Scotus was actually used by Pope, uh, by Pope Pius IX uh, to give us this beautiful understanding of the Immaculate Conception. I love it. <clears throat> and I think, again, just to, um, you know, put it in simple terms for, for my, from my own understanding, it's the reality that God is not bound by time or space. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. We cannot put God in a box. In, indeed. Exactly. Which is why... The, which is why these three words that uh, Scotus used was uh, decuit pot with ergo uh, feci, um, which is it was fitting, it was desirable. He could do it because he's God, and therefore he did it because he is God. We don't put God in a box, and therefore we do not we do not um, define God in uh, in our time and our space because therefore he's no longer God. He's limited, and we know that that's impossible. God is without limit, and therefore if he sort of fit that what was to happen in the future could be extended to the Blessed Mother. Therefore, that's exactly what he did. She needed to be immaculately conceived because therefore she would be full of grace. Those beautiful words that the Archangel Gabriel gives to her, the Annunciation, of course, um, are a, you know, a preview into her immaculate conception. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. So in these last like three minutes that we have before we have to go to commercial break, can you do you want to talk a little bit about any of the other saints and traditions throughout the Franciscan you know history and this golden thread? Well, I think you know one of the things that I would like to just point out is um, uh, and quite beautifully is that often people forget that um, and I know this is sort of counted by other people who are better historians than I am, but in our Franciscan tradition we hold that for example the praying of the Angelus is a uh, is a Franciscan tradition. Um, legend says that when Francis himself went to the uh, Holy Land and heard uh, the Muslims sing out their prayers from the minarets, he was inspired also um, to sing out the praises of the Incarnation. As I said earlier, for Francis, the Incarnation was everything, which is, excuse me, why the Angelus is the prayer of the Incarnation, praying these three Hail Marys with the Angelus, morning, noon, and evening, um, was uh, the way that the Franciscans were reminding the good people of God. I remember the friars were very much in the towns and cities. They weren't monks um, to remind the good people of God three times a day of the beauty of the moment of the incarnation, the moment that God became flesh and lived among us, as we read in St. John's prologue. So the stations of the, uh, being upon the angels has always been part of our beautiful um, uh, Franciscan tradition, but also the praying of the stations of the cross. You know, the prayer... We adore you, Lord Jesus Christ, here in all your churches throughout the whole world, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. That was a prayer written by St. Francis himself, which we use in the Stations of the Cross. And the beautiful singing of the Starbuck Mater Dolorosa was written by a Franciscan to show us again uh, the beauty of what Francis would call the poverty of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in other words, the abandonment of Mary to the will of God. And... Um, in doing so, uh, we've always had a beautiful understanding, not only of the joys of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also of the sorrows of Mary, that beautiful sorrow of her at the foot of the cross, 
which is very much an incarnational moment as well. So, um, and apart from that, of course, the friars who where we wear a very beautiful rosary beads on our cord, but they're not just the rosary beads, but they're the seven joys of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We pray those seven joys every Saturday to again remind us of uh, the joy of Mary. Interestingly enough, the sixth joy of the Blessed Virgin Mary is the joy of Mary at meeting her son at the resurrection. Again, another beautiful little tradition that the friars have always had. We don't read it in scripture. We don't need to read it in scripture. We know from beautiful acts of faith that Mary was the very first person that Jesus, our loving Savior, appeared to his own mother because to give her great joy in that moment. I love that. And that's funny. I I had only heard that um, told to me by another priest in the last year, and it had never dawned on me that, of course, she would have been the first one he appeared to. And and that just filled my heart with joy to consider them meeting each other again for the first time after that terrible um, Mm -hmm. death on the cross. Indeed. And, and it wasn't to give her any faith. She had all the faith in the world. She wasn't like Thomas. But it was just to, you know, you know it's that union, that intimate union between son and mother is, is made complete there at the resurrection. I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, well, it is time for another commercial break, but please don't go away. In this final segment, uh, Father Benedict is going to speak a little bit about Um, just Marytown and and some of their devotions and some of the deeper things that St. Maximilian uh, Colby uh, wrote about regarding the Blessed Mother. So we'll be right back after this short commercial break. Welcome back, everyone. This is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life. And I have with me uh, Father Benedict LaVolpe from Marytown. And he's going to talk a little bit right now about Marytown and the many ministries they have to offer. Well, thank you very much. Yes, um, you know, um, Marytown is a, a wonderful place uh, to, to be at and, and to be their rector and guardian of, not only because of the things that we've already spoken of, for example, with perpetual adoration um, and, um, and the other beautiful things about like the beautiful liturgical life, um, that we have here as well, but also because of the, the friars who live here. I mean, Marytown is Marytown because of the, the friars, and um, um, the people love coming to Marytown. They love seeing the friars here. They love being with the friars. And, um, you know, the friars don't just only work here, but they have a variety of ministries as well outside of Marytown. Uh, Brother Tom, for example, works at the Little Sisters of the Poor in Palatine, which, of course, at the moment is uh, a very difficult uh, job to be doing. Uh, one of our friars that goes to uh, Chicago, works at Soup Kitchen twice a week. Uh, we have our provincial vocation director who also lives here with us. But mainly all of us, our main ministry is being religious, is to live religious life, fraternal life in community. But um, the friars of Marytown have always had a very specific purpose, and that, of course, is um, to help um, the ideals of St. Maximilian Colby, and that, of course, is to conquer the world for Christ through the Immaculata, and we do that through our very ministries, but we do that particularly here at Marytown as well. Uh, myself um, and the other priests, of course, here when, when we can, hear confessions. We have um, many people coming for confession here. We have two priests every morning and every evening, and we have long lines for confessions, Monday to Friday. We have the Holy Mass, which is celebrated usually twice a day, sometimes three times a day. And um, two, uh, several of us, friars, myself included, spiritual directors to priests and seminarians. And um, so that all helps in, you know, this beautiful conglomeration of uh, Catholic activity, you could say, here at Marytown, 
people think oh, all we're doing is praying the rosary all day. I mean, that would be nice, but uh, we're actually, of course, uh, you know, we're building up the kingdom of God through the Immaculata, through the varied uh, things that we're able to do. So, um, you know, um, that's a, a beautiful part of our ministry. But of course, ultimately, Marytown and the first Marytown in Poland, as well as then in Japan, were built specifically for friars to promote uh, the MI, which is the Militia of Mary Immaculate, which St. Maximilian Colby founded in 1917. Now, until a few years ago, the National Centre was actually here at Marytown as well. Um, it moved to Peoria, and we're still in very good uh, um, relationship, of course, with the National Office, because we're all one big happy family. Uh, but the friars here particularly um, help uh, to spread the good uh, work of, of the MI as well. Um, so that's uh, one of many, many things we do here at Marytown. Well, can we expand a little bit about uh, what that consecration and becoming um, one of the militia means? Because I, I consecrated myself um, in 1999, so um, just over 20 years ago, and it was, it was life-changing for me. But yes. can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Of course, you know, the, the obvious question that people ask is, why do I need to consecrate myself to the Immaculata? Why, you know, why can't I just consecrate myself to Jesus or, you know, whatever? Well, we consecrate ourselves to the Immaculata because, you know, it's through her, again, you know, what we were speaking about earlier, that we're able to you know, have Christ among us. Um, St. Maximilian, of course, the, the whole aim of the MI was always to win the whole world for Christ through the Immaculata. And that was because, you know, um, he could see her role in salvation history as being a very strong role and want all Catholics to reclaim um, that role of the Blessed Mother. Now, when we consecrate ourselves to the Immaculate, what are we doing? I like to think of it as putting on Mary in our lives, like putting on Mary um, on our hearts, um, vesting our heart with the Blessed Virgin Mary. In fact, Maximilian talks about, you know, consecrating ourselves so that we can become more like Mary. In other words, more like uh, a believer, more like a saint, more like someone who is able to uh, accept the will of God and to follow that uh, without question, which, of course, is what Mary was able to do for the moment of the Annunciation. So all these things come together when we are able to consecrate ourselves to the Immaculate. We, we put on the whole life of Mary, not just an individual mystery like the Annunciation or whatever, but her, the fullness of the mystery of Mary, as I like to say, um, onto our hearts as well, and to make our heart then beat with the heart of Mary, which then they both beat with the heart of Christ. I love that. That's a beautiful explanation. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier this um, mediatrix title or co-redemptrix title, which is controversial. Uh, and it, yes. isn't, it isn't to put Mary at the same level of Jesus, not even close. Um, but exactly. she does play a very important role. Um, can you go a little bit more into what St. Maximilian wrote about that or his thoughts on her? Yes, you know, for Maximilian, of course, the primacy of Christ in the world um, is the most important thing. So, you know, he looks at the uh, Immaculate Conception as being, you know, uh, this sort of validation of the primacy of Christ in the world. You know, he, he wrote very beautifully, uh, he said, from the very cradle of our order, seven centuries ago, a golden thread of the cause of the Immaculate has, without interruption, been developed. It fought for the knowledge of the truth of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The battle ended with victory. This truth is universally acknowledged, of course, in the dogma. So he says, but what does that matter now? What does that mean for us now? And of course, he goes on to say, it means about um, 
that she, through her, through the Mary, she may build the throne of her son and lead all to the knowledge of him and inflame them to a love of his most sacred heart. In other words, Mary is constantly leading us to Christ. Whatever her life is, whatever her words are, whatever she has done, even in private revelation, uh, whatever her words are, are always leading us to Christ. And so therefore, that constant mediation is, is present. But it's a two-way mediation. In other words, what we like to say is, yes, Mary mediates our way to Jesus, but Jesus uses Mary to mediate his way to us as well. And that's a very beautiful understanding of the role of the Blessed Mother, particularly from those words from the cross. He spoke those words. They weren't words given to him. He said, behold your mother to John and behold your son to Mary. That two-way uh, beautiful mediation is seen right from the cross and where we see, of course, the true kingship of Christ uh, with the crown of thorns. Yes. And and as a mother um, would, right, what she does, yeah. and my experience of her has been that she takes the children by the hand and she leads yeah. them directly to her son and to the will of the father. And, and so Indeed. she's a protector and she's uh, she's just so wonderful as a mother of the children of God. You know, and this, this actually, I mean, not to get sort of off topic, but it works in well with the, you know, the, 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 the psychology of the human person as well. We kind of need that calming, beautiful mother figure in our lives to show us the way to Christ. I mean, Christ uses great wisdom. He himself became man, and therefore he knows how we think, how we, you know, how we relate in different ways. And so that was his way of helping us um, maintain our relationship with him as well through his mother. Absolutely. And I, I know that my I can speak for my own children, right? That when they are dealing with something challenging that they need to bring to us as parents, they almost always come to me first, not because they prefer me, but because they know that as a mother, I will try to ease the path uh, to make it a little easier for them to then go to my, my husband or their father. And it's yeah. a reassuring, beautiful thing um, for, for families to, to have that motherly gentleness uh, in, in its place. Indeed. And of, course, and of course, Mary always knows her place as well. She knows her place alongside her son, but never in place of her son. Yes. Very important to, to emphasize that point because she never, ever wants to block the way to, to her son or get in the way or be looked at more than him. Never. Always never. emphasizing exactly. him. And she, you know, she lived the will of God perfectly because she was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with grace. And so she's able, again, to lead the children of God to more perfectly live out the will of God in their lives. And wouldn't you also say that was what St. Max wrote about? Oh, yes, indeed. But, you know, for St. Maximilian, the, the way to holiness, the only way to holiness was living the will of God. And he, he he's able to come to this conclusion to this understanding of the will of God because of the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary in his life. So um, for Maximum, the will of God is constantly this beautiful um, understanding of, uh, you know, of uh, abandonment and obedience as well. Um, so, um, you know, he writes very beautifully. He says, Christian perfection consists in the union of our will with the will of God. In other words, when Jesus, our loving Savior, says in the, in the, in the gospel, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. It's all about how do we come to that perfection is abandoning our will to the will of God. And Maximum Colby specifically talks about that. Um, you know, he, he writes, 
It's not in mortification, it's not in prayer, it's not in labor, it's not in rest, but in obedience, the essence and merit of holiness, and therefore in living the will of God. So, um, you know, um, Maximilian Colby had a, a great understanding of this. And again, I want to make it very clear, this is all, this was all just sort of academic stuff for Maximilian. This is what he lived. And we saw this, especially the way he gave his life, um, you know, in, um, in 1941, um, to give his life for Franciszek, um, so that uh, Franciszek could go back to his wife and children, and Maximilian gave his life for that man. In the in in Auschwitz, and and I want to encourage our listeners: if you do not know the story of Saint Maximilian Kolbe, please take the time to go and read about him. He's amazing, and that that story of his sacrificial offering of his life in Auschwitz, yes. so that another man might live, brings me to tears every time I read it and hear about it. It's just the most powerful witness to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Indeed. He, he puts into practice those words, no greater love has man than to give his life for his brother. So, um, you know, uh, Maximum Colby lived the gospel um, to the moment of his death. I love that. Um, one of the other parts of being an MI is to use the sacramental of a blessed, miraculous medal in the work yes. of evangelization. You want to touch on that briefly? Yes, well, for Maximilian, of course, the miraculous medals were the, the, the bullets of the army, of the army of Mary. So, um, yes, um, you know, um, uh, the miraculous medal, which, of course, has a, a beautiful tradition, but just the symbolism of the miraculous medal to remind us of that she is the Immaculate Conception, uh, that her heart is always with Christ. That beautiful M at the foot of the cross reminds us that Mary is at the foot of the cross as well. Uh, the 12 stars of the book of Revelation, the sorrowful heart, right uh, to the right hand of the uh, sacred heart of Jesus. All those beautiful symbols that we find in the miraculous medal are all a little sort of mini catechism of who Mary is for us and her relationship with Christ as well, which is why it was the fitting medal uh, to be used uh, for this apostolate. Amen. And, and again, here I am um, hosting my own radio show. I would never have dreamt that God would have opened the door for me to do this when I consecrated myself in 1999, right? But because yes. I gave my life to Jesus through Mary, and I said, use me in whatever way you want to use me. Well, again, yeah. the MI is all about evangelizing the world. And what better way to do it than on the radio waves, um, reaching people that I'll never meet, but again, all for God's glory and hoping that more souls will come to know him through this small effort that I've offered um, here. It's a joy to, to be able to serve him in this way. Indeed. Well, you know, um, I was just going to say one of the, the basic things of the MI, and that's what I want to tell the people if they always, ever think of becoming an MI member. It's, you know, it's not just a devotion. It's not just a prayer. It's not just a, a club. But it's a path of conforming yourself to Christ. And, of course, you can do that in any state of life, which is why the MI is so, uh, is so popular around the world. It has been since 1917 when it was first started by Maximilian Colby. Beautiful. And so we've covered a lot of beautiful topics today. Um, you know, adoration, uh, consecration, um, becoming an MI, all these different things. Um, the bottom line is that, uh, as, as St. Max so beautifully wrote, is to pursue the conversion to God of all people, right? And that's what your life is devoted to. That's what my life is devoted to. And, and this radio show is mainly to highlight that we want to invite everyone who's listening to continue to come and see for yourself who this great Savior is, 
who his mother is, who can help draw you even further along the path towards him. Um, any final words, uh, Father Benedict? One of the things, if um, people, of course, who can't come to the shrine at the moment know that um, they can live stream perpetual adoration and all of our liturgical celebrations, all of our masses, morning prayer, evening prayer, benediction on Sunday evenings, all through our website, colbyshrine.org. Thankfully, the wonderful gift shop here at Marytown, of course, is still open online. And again, you can access the online gift shop at uh, colbyshrine.org as well. So we need all the support we can get at the moment, I can assure you, um, because with no people here, of course, there's no money coming in. But um, uh, we are still doing everything. We're, we're praying morning, evening, and at noon, and we're celebrating Mass every single day, and we're remembering all, of you, all the good people of God, and we truly do miss uh, all the people coming here at the moment. Well, thank you, Father, and, and please rest assured of our prayers for all of you, friars, as you continue to keep that beautiful place running uh, without us until we can be reunited with you. Um, would you, you so do the great grace of um, closing with a final blessing? I'd be happy to. Um, St. Francis wrote uh, a beautiful blessing uh, that he, of course, used for Brother Leo, and which comes from the Book of Numbers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he show his face to you and have mercy. May he turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. May the Lord bless you. And through the intercession of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Mother, and St. Maximilian Colby, her knight, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Father Benedict. I look forward to seeing you soon in person when this stay-at-home order is lifted. And again, um, thank you all to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed learning about Mary Town, learning about Blessed Mother and her beautiful role. And until we meet again, I'm wishing you all his fullness of life. <laughs>